It's so good to be here. Uh, I pray that everybody had a, a wonderful Christmas. Uh, you know, oftentimes um, celebrating Christmas can be difficult. You know, maybe this is the first Christmas where you've lost a loved one or maybe there's some turmoil. But, you know, if we shift our focus on really what Christmas is, it's the birth of our Savior, right? And it's so good to, to refocus about that. It's not about the presents, but it's about his presence in our lives and our heart. Amen? Man, so I'm excited about today's message. And uh, I got up early today, and the Lord was speaking to me. Paul, Pastor Paul asked me, gosh, it's been a couple of months. He was like, hey, how do you feel about the uh, day after Christmas? And I was like, pretty much like every other day, man. I'm jazzed up about it. And he said, do you want to bring a message? And I said, absolutely. And so I started praying, and I was like, God, what do you want me to speak? What do you want me to speak on this day after Christmas? And I prayed about it, and I prayed about it. And so uh, Pastor Paul, a few weeks ago, said, hey, you good? Day after Christmas? I said, yep. He goes, do you, you need any suggestions? Us pastors, we've got a ton of suggestions to throw at you for sermon ideas. I said, no, man, God laid it on my heart. I'm going I'm to speak about prayer. And uh, it's so awesome, right? Because I didn't realize it, but Pastor Paul said, bro, I don't know who's speaking to you, which we know who it is, but we're getting ready to start our 21 days of fasting and prayer. So it was just awesome how God brought it all together um, and, and how he just aligns everything. So that's what I'm going to be speaking on today is about prayer. And, and it's important. This story in the Bible has spoke to me numerous times, and, and I've kind of used it as a guideline for my life and, and how I pray. Now, a lot of us, you know, a lot of us are good. We know how to pray, right? But then, what do we do next? What do we do after we pray? And, and a lot of times, it took me a while to realize that, because I thought it was just a prayer, and I just prayed, and then that was it. He either answered it, or he didn't, and what do I do in the meantime? I don't really know what my next steps are. So today we're going to be in uh, Genesis, first book of the Bible, so you don't have to flip very far, in chapter 24. This is an awesome story. I, I love it. Um, so I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read bits of it and then highlight each point. So in this passage, Abraham is getting older, and he has a chief servant. And that chief servant's name is Eleazar, okay? And so Abraham instructs him, hey, I need you to find a wife for my son. And it can't be from around here, not in this little area. I need you to go back to our people and get a wife from, from back there, right? And uh, so the chief servant, being humble and obedient, he goes and, and he's going to do this. And sometimes I think, man, if I'm tasked with something like that, and somebody comes to me and says, hey, uh, I need you to go find me a wife for, for my son, but I don't want it to be here in southern Indiana. I need you to go to California. I'd be like, uh, I, that's probably not going to happen, right? But Eliezer's like, yeah, absolutely, I'm going to go. And, and, and it made me realize 
it's because he had seen the faith of his master Abraham play out over and over and over, right? So his faith was strengthened and his trust in God was great because of Abraham's. And so that makes me think, what, what kind of legacy or, or what impact am I leaving on those around me? Are people's faith and trust in God strengthened because of my life and how I live? Or is it diminished? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I haven't seen God do too much in that man's life, right? I haven't seen him trust or rely on God for much. But Eleazar had seen it happen in Abraham. So yes, God's going to do mighty, mighty things through this. Okay, so here's what's important. We all have like events or decisions or you know, uh, trials, tribulations. We have things that happen in our life or maybe requests. So what do we do? The first thing that we should do is pray. Okay, so pray. So I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 24. And, and kind of what I just told you, he, he, he told Eleazar to go. So starting in verse 12. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So he prays. Now what's awesome about it is he prays a very specific prayer. Right? It would have been normal for women to come out to the well, usually twice, twice a day. That wouldn't have been uncommon. And they, they, they would have offered a drink to passerbys uh, or, or other people. But it was really outside of the norm for them to offer also to feed camels or the animals. Right? So, so Eliezer prays a very specific prayer. Uh, so I don't know where you're, where you're at in your prayer life or if you're praying specific prayers when you pray, but I encourage you to. I encourage you to. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Right? According to his will. I prayed a very specific prayer with my former pastor at my church in Louisville in his office. When he asked me, he was like, so what are you, you going to start dating again? Or what's that look like? And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm trying to get my life back together. You know, I mean, I had to start all over at 40 years old, and so really the thought of, of kind of like dating or, or next steps or even possibly getting married, I hadn't really processed or dealt with that, but he said, you know, you should start praying for that now. And I was like, I mean, I'm, I'm open to, to God's will in my life if that's, if that's what he wants. And so 
I prayed a very specific prayer. Like, I mean, I had, if, if my prayer would have been put on paper, there were bullet points, right? And, and I'm telling you, my wife, Becca, she is an answer to every piece of that prayer. And I'm thankful that I didn't just pray, God, bring me some woman, right? Now, I'm not saying he would have just brought me some woman, but it makes it special to me that I prayed specifically and, and his, my will was aligned with his will and he brought me the woman of my dreams. So I encourage you to pray specific prayers when you pray. So, so, so now Eleazar has prayed this very specific prayer, right? So, so the next piece... After you pray, is what? You gotta wait. Now, this story does not depict waiting very long because, as you'll I'll, let me, in verse 15 or 6 15, before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, too until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. He didn't have to wait long, right? He didn't have to wait long. But sometimes we do have to wait. I had to wait. I had to wait, and that's hard. You know, a lot of times we don't, we don't want to like... I want it because I want it now, right? Because everything that we want is right here with the click of a button. Oh, Amazon, next day, sure, I'll subscribe to Prime. Yeah, it's on my doorstep. There's, no, there's really no waiting, right, when we look at things of this world. But, but we're encouraged to wait, even when we pray specific prayers and we feel like that's God's will and His promise in our life, we have to wait. And there's good in waiting, right? There's so much good in waiting. I think of... And, and this, I didn't come up with this on my own. I heard it in a sermon. He was talk, this pastor was talking about waiting. And he used this child. You know, she said, I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. I've got to eat something. He said, babe, dinner's going to be done like 30 to 40 minutes. It's not that big a deal. You can, you can wait that long. I promise you, you're not going to starve to death. She was like, I'm so hungry. I can't wait. And so when he turns around and goes back to the kitchen to cook, she goes over to the table, she finds a bowl of gummy bears, and she just starts going to town on some gummy bears, right? Like, I can't wait, man. And so had she just waited 30 or 40 minutes, she would have had this beautiful, fulfilling, nourishing meal that was prepared for her that would have filled her up. But instead... She rushes and goes and grabs junk that then is going to keep her full from having that which nourishes her and then be hungry 
40, 45 minutes later. And had she just wet and waited and ate what was prepared for her, she would have been full the rest of the evening and could have went to bed satisfied. We, me, I'm not pointing fingers at you. This is right back at me, right? Like, we, I don't like to wait. So instead of waiting on what God has prepared for me, I rush and get junk. I get stuff to fulfill me momentarily just to satisfy that hunger and that thirst, but then in turn just leave me more hungry and more thirsty. And God's like, if you would have just waited on me, I would have provided everything that would satisfy your thirst and your hunger. But I'm busy over here eating junk. And he's like, this prime rib that I have for you that I've cooked for so long and prepared for so long, you're going to go get gummy bears? Come on, bro. And sometimes that wait is long. Sometimes it's longer than a day. Sometimes it's longer than a week. Sometimes it's longer than a year. But there's good in the wait. And in that waiting, we don't just sit around idle, do we? Well, we do. But God has so much more in store for us while we're waiting. In James chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You can't rush that. I know we got some farmers in here. I'm not going to point them out. You can't rush that. You've got to plant. Wait for the water. Wait for it to bloom. Wait for it to grow. Wait for it to be ready for harvest. I mean, we want it all to happen overnight. That's fantastic, but that's not how it works sometimes. God's like, be patient. Just wait. Because if you can wait, when I show you, oh, I'm going to blow your mind. What do we do after we wait? We act. So we've prayed. Now we've waited. And now we act. So, so, so we act. So Eleazar, he prayed, he waited, he acted, right? And, and that acting, um, that acting was, was him watching uh, and, and him going forward and saying, hey, give me a drink, right? So, so he has now acted. A lot of times, we, we don't take action, right? We, we don't take action because we just want it given to us. We want it to fall in our laps. We don't want to have to work for anything. So let me go, let, let, let me read to you here in uh, James. In James chapter 2. 
What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it, faith by itself it, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Act. Sometimes when we pray and ask God, and then we wait, there's an action step. Right? In, in the, the prayer that I spoke with Becca, if I took no action, I wouldn't have this ring on my finger. If I took no action, we wouldn't be married. If I took no action, you see what I'm saying? If I was still just waiting and God's like, there's an answered prayer, right? Look at her. That's, you asked. It's there. Act. You have to act on it. Right? But why don't we act? Why don't we act? Because we're scared. Sometimes it's, it's, it's fear, right? And I know all too well about some fear. Let me tell you. I was so fearful when we very first started dating I was fearful to speak my heart. I was fearful to, to speak things that might lead to an argument or something. Like, oh, uh, the perfect relationship, there is no voice raising. There is no differences of opinions. There is no, I don't know where I got that, probably from some romantic love story movie, right? They don't ever fight. It's just all roses and chocolates and it's perfect. But I had that fear, and so that fear led me to not act and share my heart with her, which was not fair to her because she only got a part of me, not all of me. But God removed that fear and allowed me to act in accordance with His will and being obedient to His calling, which then allowed my whole heart to be exposed to her and give her, and then she could love me completely for who I was. But I had to act. <clears throat> I had to act. So what do we do after we act? So let me, I'm going to share something funny with you that I realized this morning. I, I, I kind of know why Jesus and Peter and Apostle Paul, I, I know why they didn't use PowerPoint slides. <laughs> and that's because they wouldn't be tied to those slides when God spoke a different message in the middle of the sermon or pro just prior to the sermon, right? So I've got, I'm, I'm laying out a guideline for you here, right? Like pray, wait, act, and then the next step is to worship, right? But what I failed to realize when I was laying out those, when I was praying about it and I had them all laid out was, Man, worship doesn't have to come after act. It should be worship, pray, worship, wait, worship, act, worship, right? It, I don't have to just pray, wait, act, and then, oh, Jesus, thank you. No, Jesus, thank you, even if you don't answer my prayer. 
Thank you that I'm waiting. And while I wait, I worship you. Wholeheartedly I wait and worship you because I know that you're growing me. That you're removing obstacles and hindrances so that I can fully embrace and experience the blessings that you have in front of me. Oh, man. He's good, I tell you. That's why they didn't use PowerPoint in the New Testament. <laughs> so worship. And Eleazar, after he had acted, and we'll go back to verse 26, he says, Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Worshipped. Fell down and worshipped God. Not because he went to the right place and went... No, he fell down because he knew that the God of the universe was there, heard his prayer, answered it according to his will. How many times have I failed to worship because I didn't get what I wanted? How many times have I failed to worship because I had to wait a little bit longer than I wanted to? How many times have I failed to worship because he answered it, but not in the way that I wanted it to be answered? Mm. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's our act of worship, right? It, it, worship, and it's awesome when we get to come in here and worship, and they sing these songs, and I love it, but worship doesn't stop there, right? We get to worship God with everything that we do. When we walk out of here and we go to the gas station and we're pumping gas, I'm worshiping God because you've allowed me to have a job to fill my tank of gas. Oh, I get to go to the grocery store and I got to hurry because they're closing early on Christmas Eve. God, I'm going to worship you that you've given me the legs and the strength to sprint in before they lock those doors. That happened. <laughs> but we worship Him all the time if we choose to. It's a choice. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we worship Him with everything that we have all day, every day? Because I'm focused on what I don't have. Because I'm focused on the weight. Because I'm focused on, I have to act. Because I'm focused on me and not on him. Mm. Here's my favorite step. Oh, I can't say that. Worship is my favorite step. They're all my favorite, right? But here's, this is the last one. We are to share. We are to share what God has done, the prayers He's answered, 
the, the story that He's written in your life, we are to share. Right? And, and, and I love Eleazar. I love him because he doesn't just share, yep, Abraham sent me, I came, sat down, she offered me a drink, da-da-da-da. No. No, 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 no. He shares. He shares. So, so he, goes back to, uh, he goes back to the house, and um, Laban, Laban is Rebekah's brother, and he hurried out to the man at the spring, and as soon as he's seen the nose ring, right, because he, they, he, identified, he identified her by putting a nose ring and bracelets. Um, so, verse 31. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I've prepared the house and a place for your camels. So the man, Eleazar, went to the house. The camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him. But he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. So he said, now listen. He didn't just, oh, I love it. I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, men servants and maid servants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, and whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, what if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son, for my own clan, and for my father's family. Then when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath, even if they refuse to give her to you you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I have come. See, I am standing beside this spring. If a maiden comes to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar, and she says to me, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put a ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me so I may know which way to turn. He shared. Right? He didn't give the Cliff Notes version. He laid it out there, every specific detail of everything that God had done leading up to that point. And I love it. And I, I think the reason I connect so well is because I love telling stories about God. 
And I don't like leaving out details because it magnifies His grace. It magnifies His love. He's so good. He's so good. And He wants us to share His story in our lives to others. You know the videos that we make? of our testimonies, those are the things he wants us to share because somebody else needs to hear it. It says in Psalm 96, verse 3, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Man, you know the great thing about it is too? Is nobody can discount your story. Somebody will be encouraged by your story of what God's done in your life. And I don't care how small or how big it is. I'll share it all. Matter of fact, I'm going to share a story with you right now. And some of you in my men's group have heard this, so bear with me, those of you. When I was preparing for this message, I mean, there's so many countless, countless stories that I could share with you, but I wanted, for some reason, God laid this one on my heart to highlight today. So, it's been probably, I guess, a year and a half ago. I had just recently got my apartment here in New Albany. I had moved over here from Louisville, and uh, which was awesome because now my girls were able to come and spend the night with me, which was a big deal. And I'll never forget, there was a Saturday, they came and stayed the night with me and went to bed and woke up the next day. And I'm like, hey, what do you girls want for breakfast? Now, mind you, I got cereal, I got oatmeal, I got everything under the sun. I can make you pancakes. I got pink ones, I got blue ones. We want donuts. Of course you want donuts. Let's get ready because now we got to get dressed and I got to run a brush through your hair and do all that stuff. And we open the door. There's like a little walkway out to the parking lot. We walk out there and I got my daughter's hands and I stop and I'm looking and my six year old at the time, Kenzie, Daddy, where's your car? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know where my car is. I know why, where I parked it last night when we came home. I don't know. And so, like, my mind starts going 100 miles an hour, and I'm like, well, you guys go inside, and I'm going to go walk around the apartment complex. Maybe I parked, you know, just crazy thoughts. Like, oh, I slept walk, and I moved my car in the middle of the night. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got a six- and four-year-old. I can't leave them. So I go back inside. And my six-year-old, she's visibly upset, right? Because this doesn't make sense to her. And so I got down on my knees, and I held their hands, and we prayed. God, we don't understand. We don't understand why somebody would take my car. God, thank you that we're safe. God, we pray for those that stole the car because we don't understand their situation and what led them to make that decision to need this car. God, we just pray for their safety. We forgive them. 
And God, your will be done in this situation. And, and my six-year-old was so at peace after we prayed. And so, you know, I called police and they came out and he said, did you leave the keys in it? And I was like, no, I got the keys right here. And he was like, okay, well, we'll put it on the stolen car report and you're likely never get your car back, right? There's an increase in car theft in southern Indiana. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know what to do now, but we're not getting donuts, babies. <laughs> so, you know, I prayed. God, I don't know what to do about a vehicle. I'm thankful that I have insurance. They're going to provide me a car in the meantime, and I'm going to be able to go back and forth to work to see my daughters. It's all good, right? Uh, now, I was, I was upset about not the car, right? You can replace those. And my trunk was full of all my tools for working on vehicles. And uh, that stung a little bit, but God, you can replace. It's, it's not a big deal. I was upset. I was upset that I lost my Bible. This is the first Bible that I got when I was saved. So that one, that one hurt my heart. And so I had wanted a truck for a very long time. I had wanted a truck. And the, the rental was a truck. And this thing was brand new. Oh, I mean, that thing did everything but give you a shoulder massage, and it may have done that. <laughs> and I loved it. And I wanted it. I asked the people, hey, do you, the rental place, I said, do you guys sell these? Yeah, yeah, we do. I was like, oh, I think I want to buy this thing. And so he draws up the quote, emails me, and I've got the final quote. All I've got to do is do the docu-sign and send it back. And I prayed, God, is this your will for my life that I have this truck? And it wasn't. And uh, I said, but God, you, you know how much I want a truck, man. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to coerce God into changing his will for my life. And he's like, no, I'll, I'll give you the desires of your heart. It's just not going to look like it, like this. And so I told the guy, I can't buy it. And so I had a friend at work who I had officiated, he and his wife's wedding. And he had bought a truck because he was going to start this paint business. Well, he then got a job where I work at Samtech full time. So he was not going to pursue that paint business. And I knew that he had this truck. And I knew that I could afford to pay in full for this truck. Now, it's beat up. It's dinged. It's missing a tailgate. The bumper's dented. I mean, that truck represents me wholeheartedly, man. I've got some dings. I've got some squeaks, you know. But it gets me from A to B, and it's a truck, right? God still blessed me with the desires of my heart for this truck. So fast forward... And I'm still praying about the car, right? Because 29, so after 30 days, they say, okay, it's lost. Insurance pays you for what the car was worth, minus your deductible and all that. On day 29, I'm sitting, it's a Saturday, it's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and my phone rings and it says unavailable. Well, I'm not answering that. So it goes to voicemail. It rings again, voicemail. 
It rings again. Voicemail. I was like, boy, these telemarketers are persistent, boy. <laughs> the next time it rings, hello? Yeah, uh, Josh Roll. I said, this is he. Yeah, this is Officer Weaver of the New Albany Police Department. I've got your car. Now, I thought it was my buddies at work, so I said, shut up. <laughs> I, said, I said, quit playing. And he said, no, sir, this, this is Officer Weaver. I, I have your vehicle. And I was like, oh, my gosh. He said, uh, I'm right down the road from you at Stone Creek Apartments, literally a quarter of a mile down Green Valley Road. And he said, do you want to come down here? And I said, yeah, for sure. So I grab my keys, I take my truck, and I go down there, and there's this officer sitting next to my Acura TSX under the carport in this apartment complex. And I'm just elated. Like, I'm like, I mean, this is insane. This is crazy. And so uh, open the car. It had already been open. Um, they couldn't get into the glove box because there was so much paperwork. I, I mean, this car, I bought it new in 2008, and all the work that I had ever done on it, all the receipts for all that were in the glove box. So you couldn't just open it. You had to push, lift, and then open, right? <laughs> well, the people that stole it assumed that it was locked and that there was something really special in there, so they ripped it out of the dash. And all there was was receipts, sorry, sorry to say. So I looked, and my Bible is always in the passenger seat of my car. Always. So I open, I look, I'm moving the papers, I'm like, ah, they took the Bible. But God, maybe they needed that Bible, right? My tools. Pop the trunk open. All my tools are still in my trunk. And my Bible is in my trunk. I believe that while they were in there, it was convicting to them to have that Bible sitting there, so they put it in the trunk so that they wouldn't see it. The only thing that they took from that car was my daughter's booster seats. That was it. And I said, God, if out of all this, their children are protected, I'm good. So good. Right? So not only do I get my car back, and my Bible back, and my tools back. Okay, that's, that's answered prayer enough. Now I've got two vehicles. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I going to do with two vehicles, God? I don't need two vehicles. And so I prayed. God, I, I don't need two vehicles. You gave me the desires of my heart with this truck. If I'm to sell this vehicle... I want it to go to somebody in need, that this will be a blessing for them. God, I, I will wait for you. I'll let it sit in the parking lot as long as I have to. I will wait for you. There's a gentleman upstairs. That's my neighbor. His name's Daryl. He's awesome. Um, he's a Jehovah's Witness, and he and I have had some really awesome conversations about the Bible and He's just a really dear friend, and, and, I, and I'm thankful for him so much. Uh, one day, this was weeks later, he was coming down the stairs. He's like, hey! And I was like, hey, Daryl. He's like, what are you going to do with that car? And I was like, I don't know. I, I guess sell it. 
He said, well, what do you want for it? And I said, man, I honestly don't even know what it's worth to be truthful. He goes, well, do some research and let me know. So I, Kelly Blue Book, it's like $3,500 is probably what it's worth, it says, if you want to sell it outright. So next time I see him, I said, hey, $3,500. He's like, okay. He goes, I, I think I have a lady that could use that vehicle. And I said, okay, well, you know, just let me know. So go on a couple weeks and uh, leaving my church in, in Louisville and I'm driving back to go get my daughters. My phone rings and it's Daryl. Hey, hey Daryl. He goes, hey man, that, that woman wants to come look at the car today. Is that possible? I said, yeah, man, I'm going to get my girls. I'll be there in like 45 minutes. He goes, okay, I'll let her know. So I go pick up my daughters. We drive over, park, and there's a woman. So, so the woman, it was mom but grandma, and then the mom, and then the two kids, okay? So I get out, and we're talking, and I'm showing. Now, the car's for the daughter, right? Not the mom, grandma. The, it can, can get confusing. I hope I'm painting a good picture here for you. So it's for her, so I'm kind of telling her. I'm showing her and this and that, and I'm like, you want to take it for a test drive? And she's like, yeah. I mean, she's just so excited. So I hand her the key. She gets in and takes off. So I start talking to the mom, grandma. And I said, um, ma'am, I said, you know, I've prayed and asked God that whoever buys this car, that it be a blessing to them. And she said, honey, I work first shift. She works third shift. Kids have to go to school. We have my vehicle. This will be bigger blessing to me but also her right and I knew at that point that God had orchestrated all this a hundred percent orchestrated it all and she said now I know that you had told Daryl 3500 and I said yeah she said honey we we got everything that we could together and, and we only have twenty one hundred dollars now insurance if the car had been lost Insurance was going to pay me $2,800 minus my deductible, so I would have had $1,800. And I told the woman, I said, ma'am, I'll sell it to you for $2,100 because this is an answer to God. Uh, this is a prayer answered, right? And, I mean, she wept. We hugged. I prayed with her. Uh, I prayed with the daughter, the kids, the whole bit. Um, and, and it was a blessing it was a blessing. So, so all that to say that I prayed, I waited, I acted, worshipped, and I'm sharing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And let me share one other thing that's probably the most important to my heart is that God allowed my daughters to be there when I lost it. And that God allowed my daughters to be there when I sold it. Because that will last in their hearts forever. So that they can know, regardless of whatever the situation is, that God's in control and He is faithful. Amen? So I don't know where you are today. And maybe you've never really thought about prayer and then. Right? That's the sermon. Prayer and then what? Right? And I've, I've kind of laid out those steps. Pray, wait, act, worship, and share.
And the worship goes all in there, right? Worship, pray, worship. But maybe there's something today that you need to pray about specifically. Not just a... And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with just praying, right? If you're in communication with God, amen. Praise God Almighty. But I encourage you today that if there's something specific in your life that you have a need for or that you have a desire of your heart, I pray that you pray it specifically. And as you wait for Him to answer, whether it's a day, whether it's a week, whether it's a year, whether it's a decade, that you worship Him in the wait. And that when He calls you to act, that you take that step of faith. And when you act and He answers, that you worship and that you share that with the next person that you come across. Because it will be a blessing to you and it will be a blessing to them. I promise you. Today, today if maybe you've never prayed the best prayer and asked the Lord Jesus into your heart and into your life as Lord and Savior, I pray that be the first specific prayer that you pray. Because that's the most important one. It's to ask Jesus into your heart and into your life as Lord and Savior. I pray if you have not done that today, today be that day. And I pray today if, if maybe you've just prayed and not really known, what do I do next? I pray that this message encourages you to take next steps in your life. And I pray that you be bold and that you be courageous to share those with people in your life. I'm telling you, God's up to great things every single day. And I pray that he be glorified. I pray that he be honored. And I pray that his kingdom grows through the stories that we share about his goodness and his faithfulness. Mm. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. Prayer teams to come up to my left and to my right. And if you have a prayer request that you, that you need prayer for, I pray that you take that step of faith and come up and, and be prayed for, be prayed with. Oh, dear God, let's pray. Oh, dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the stories and, and, the, and the ways that you show us practically how to pray and what to do next. God, thank you for those times of waiting because you grow us so much when we lean on you. God, thank you for those times when we act and you're faithful. God, thank you for when we worship you, that you fill our hearts and you fill our lives with joy and peace. God, thank you that you've given us a voice to share about all your goodness. God, today I pray that you're just exalted in everything that we do and we say. And I pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hillside, would you guys stand with me as we sing this last song?